Hi, this is Nick Forster. We are visiting a show this week from our 2007 season featuring two of the coolest guests we've ever had, and it starts right now. From the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town with this week's guests from Boston, Massachusetts, Signature Sounds recording artist Chris Smither, and from Los Angeles, California, New West recording artist Ricky Lee Jones. Right now, here's your host, Nick Forster. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to E-Town. We get together, listen to some live music, and kind of talk things over. We, I think we have the musical equivalent of the all-star game this week. We have two musicians and singers and songwriters who have been at this for a long time, doing great work for a long time. Our first guest is kind of like a constant invitation to come closer to the edge of the cliff, where the good view is, where there's a little bit of danger, where comfort is not the only thing we're paying attention to. She comes from a rambling, performing family. She's moved around a lot herself. She keeps making good new music and writing, but also connecting people and uh, asking folks to pay attention, to wake up, connect the dots a little bit. We think of her as a really great musical citizen. Happy to have her back with us. Please welcome back, if you would, to E-Town, Ricky Lee Jones. Thank you, everybody. It's great to be back in E-Town, where all the dolphins are safe <laughs> and all the trees talk. <laughs> Sun's going down. I'm going back to my cave. I got no one to lead, no one to say. But I like the music, it's in my head. I think I'll work, yeah, for her instead. Well, I just drove circles. 
So tonight, you know, I'm joined by the E-Town Band. Some of you may think they're imaginary. <laughs> but they're real. So joining us are Nick and Helen Forrester. And on the drums joining us from the E-Town Band is Christian Teal. There you go.
you very much. Thank you. I, um, I have to say that uh, you're an inspiration because you do an awful lot of stuff. You write new songs, you make new records, you've got... I sing, I dance, I do it all. I know, you do it all. Does that come from your, your vaudeville grandpa? Maybe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Thanks for mentioning it. My grandpa was Pegleg Jones. Pegleg was a very big star in vaudeville. And, um, well, obviously he was, as one review described him, a monopod. <laughs> That's a very, yeah. Uh, he wouldn't like that we're laughing, but I never met him, so, oh, well. You did see a poster of him with top billing over Milton Berle Over something. Milton Berle. He's yeah, very big. Yeah, that's big stuff. That's big stuff. So he was a monopod dancer and acrobat. <laughs> he played the ukulele and sang. And yeah. the grandmother was a dancer in vaudeville, so we saw yeah. her on the chorus line. And it was very inspirational. I think there's a kind of a magical time when you're growing up, and I say this now with the... Uh, renewed experience of being a grandpa, because I have a four-year-old oh granddaughter. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look like a young fellow. I think we're about a the same. A young grandpa. I'm a young grandpa. Anyway, there's something about that four-year-old kind of place that I've been just inspired by lately. It's sort of like the world is, everything's possible. Your imagination is just as vivid as reality. And you kind of have a sense that, uh, from what I can tell, uh, she's got a sense that she can just combine any ingredients in any way that suits her at any time, and it strikes me that you've held on to that <laughs> stuff. That four-year-old Ricky Lee is still around, which is very hard to do. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think most time when we go to school, that stuff gets kind of squished. You know, I think it's intact in me, and if it died, I'd die with it. It's just, I don't know how people could live without that imaginary world, you know, intact. Um, tell me about this thing. You have a website community that you've created that's called Furniture for the People. Yeah. Right? So what's that about? Well, we created it in 2000 when George Bush was elected the first time. George Bush's election seemed to be an outlet for very angry people to be very angry. And um, so they'd come to my website and attack the, you know, the folks who were writing that they didn't, weren't happy about the election. And they would... Uh, they were so vile and angry with the things they said. You should die. You know, stuff like that. Well, nobody wants doesn't say that to people. So we created Furniture for the People, which is a whole other silly title. But it was first to have a safe place to talk politics in those first years when it didn't seem safe. And then it began to be a kind of network for... Um, what I became involved in was, well, my mother had a few strokes, and her first stroke left her greatly debilitated, and I learned about this thing called expressive aphasia, which is when people understand what you're saying, and they know what they would like to say, but it just comes out wrong. It happens to so many Americans when they have strokes, and there's no support system whatsoever in the United States for elderly people who have aphasia or anybody who has it. What I hope before furniture closes down is that I hope I can stand in front of Congress and talk to them about giving money to the American people who need money instead of just to themselves or wherever the heck all that many billions of dollars is going because yeah. it's not going to old people. That's right. That's what I say. Yeah. 
And as I said, being a grandpa myself, you better of which hurry we up. we will be one yeah. soon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> better get busy. Um, you know, each time someone comes to E-Town, it's an opportunity for me to kind of look around and read and, and uh, listen to interviews. And it's kind of like catching up and discovering new things about people you kind of know. And one thing I learned that was a complete out of left field, had no idea, was your connection to horses, oh, which yeah. is obviously pretty deep. Especially mm -hmm. special kind of Rocky Mountain horse that you're very fond of. Yeah. So these are just like total surprises. How many of you knew that? Anybody know that? No, nobody knows that about you. Well, I grew up in Arizona, and I was a little rodeo rider. I got to study under this lady named Karen Womack, and uh, then they had a little ro amateur rodeo. And, and then I got hurt by a horse, and they wouldn't let me ride anymore. And about two years ago, I came home from tour, and it was like that wound was healed. And I came home and found hundreds of horses on the internet, pictures of hundreds of horses, and I'd spend hours looking at pictures of horses, imagining what it would be like if that horse was mine. And, That's um, a very four-year-old girl kind of thing to do, <laughs> yes. <laughs> For hours I want a and pony. Hours. And I discovered this breed. Um, there was, you know, like horses often might be white with a black tail, but when I was little and I'd draw kinds of horses, you wouldn't really ever see a dark horse with a white tail or mane. And I saw this picture of a dark horse, a chocolate horse with a white tail. Anyway, so I looked it up, and it's called the Rocky Mountain Saddle Horse. They breed this beautiful color, but also they're gated. Wow. that's So I started breeding them. I'm failing as a salesperson, but I have a lot of horses. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we need things like that in our dotage to just keep us busy and stuff. But um, you exactly. also... Yeah, except, the, except for the fact that in your case, you're still busy doing all kinds of music, too. So uh, I imagine, because I've you know, been around this music world, too, but I imagine that most people think about uh, a record or a CD as a batch of songs that fit together in a certain way. Is this the case in your new CD? Do these songs have a flavor in common? The fact is it's inspired by one piece of literature. My friend Lee Cantillon had wrote a book called The Words, and they're the words of Christ. I was reading a little book of the words of Buddha and wondering, where's the little book of the words of Christ? I wonder what he said, because he's really famous. And um, <laughs> So I read this book, and it was divided in small chapters, easy to read. And um, I, I think that Americans are burned by the misalignment of the ideas of Christ. Not Christianity, but there are beautiful, straightforward ideas about how to live a life. So I thought, well, if I offer this great piece of music, myself not a Christian, you know, uh, and offer it up with great love, maybe it can start to undo the terrible harm that I think has been done by associating this religion with an extreme right-wing political party. So that's the discussion, but also it's just a really great record, yeah. I think. <laughs> well, music connects too. I mean, music. Sometimes it takes a song. Sometimes it takes music to kind of put away all the all the preconceptions about what the content is, or or way to bring people together from disparate places. So, I think it sounds like a powerful statement with good juju behind it, and great uh, hope, great faith. Great yeah, hope. and it sounds like it started in a moment of inspiration, which is always like the best stuff. So. 
Anyway, we are, again, really happy to have you back visiting, and we're going to get back to music. Welcome back, if you would, once again to E-Town, Ricky Lee Jones. Thank Ricky Lee Jones, Joey Maramba on the bass, Peter Atanasoff on the guitar. Thank you, everybody. They'll be back to play a bunch more music later on in the show. Thank you, Ricky Lee Jones. She's such a great artist. We will be back with more.
after a short break. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. You're listening to E-Town. Forster, this is E-Town. Ricky Lee Jones is going to be back a little later on the show. And coming up, the modern country blues troubadour, great singer and songwriter, Chris Smither, is here. He's coming right up, too. Before we get back to music, though, we are going to take a break and, and introduce you to somebody we met with the help of a, an astute listener. We get the chance every week to recognize some unsung heroes, people who are doing great things kind of behind the scenes. It's the Achievement Award, and here comes Helen to tell you about this week's winner. Thanks, Nick. This week's listener nominator is Ricky Ott of Cordova, Alaska. She tunes into E-Town on station KCHU, and she's nominating Gershon Cohen of Haines, Alaska, for the Achievement Award. Though he'd been a resident of Alaska for many years, our winner, like many of his neighbors, had been unaware of the negative impact the cruise ship industry was having on his state until he stumbled upon a New York Times article about the subject. Well, Gershon, who is a scientist by profession, decided to dig deeper and research the issue. What he discovered led him to become the driving force behind a local effort to protect Alaska's waters and coastal communities from the negative economic and environmental impacts of this enormous industry. As his nominator says in her letter, quote, in what can only be described as an incredible David versus Goliath victory, the people of Alaska have set a new standard for cruise industry practices and responsibility around the world. Our winner's waiting on the phone to tell us the story, so please welcome from Haines, Alaska, Gershon Cohen. How are you, Gershon? Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. So tell us, what are some of the impacts that the cruise ships, when they come into town, what's the impact that this cruise industry has? Well, every summer here in Alaska, in about a four-month season, we have about 36 of the major ships coming up. And each ship on any given day is going to discharge hundreds of thousands of gallons of gray water, which is uh, contaminated water from the galley and the sink and the laundry and the showers, probably about 30,000 gallons of sewage, thousands of gallons of oily bilge water. They have a number of other hazardous wastes on board. And unfortunately, what we found out was that they were routinely just dumping all this stuff overboard because it was a lot cheaper than treating it. Right. And don't they have to take better care of that stuff? I mean, I'm assuming that generally, uh, do fishing boats get to do the same thing or other kinds of ships? I guess here's the best way to look at it is that, you know, you've got a floating city out there versus a fishing boat. I mean, it's true that fishing boats have a couple of people on them and and they do generate some sewage and whatnot, but they don't have dry cleaning facilities and they don't have photo shops and they don't have machine shops and whatnot. And they're real, it's just a different scale. A lot of the communities that are visited by these ships 
are actually smaller than the number of people that get off the ships to see them. Oh, wow. And did the uh, communities know about this impact? Were they aware of the fact that all this dumping was going on? No, actually, nobody was. Uh, I have to take as much responsibility for that as anybody. I'm supposed to know about these things. I work on industrial wastewater issues up here and have for several decades. But the cruise ship industry was kind of flying under the radar, and we're exempt from Clean Water Act permitting. And so they were discharging without permits, and nobody knew that until about 2000 when we figured it out. And so we've been trying since then to try to get the industry to have to uh, function under a permit system like everybody else. I see. And you're a scientist, is that right? I have a background in molecular biology and also in environmental policy. What, what did you do when you start to try to spread the word? What do you do? How do you start? When we first found out about it up here in Haines, which is at the uh, northern end of the panhandle, we contacted politicians. We kind of raised a little bit of a ruckus here, I guess you could say, publicly. And it wasn't long before the state's politicians were stumbling over themselves to try to be the first one to pass a law to protect our waters and our fisheries, et cetera. Well, unfortunately, the cruise ship lobby is so powerful that by the time the laws got passed, they were so watered down that there really wasn't uh, the protection that we needed in the law. So in 2003, a friend of mine who works on similar issues, Joe Geltoff and Juno and I, wrote an initiative for the statewide ballot, and it took us three years to get it on the ballot, and it was voted on by the people of Alaska last August, oh, wow. and I'm happy to say that it passed. Wow, that's good for you. So, so that's a lot of signatures you had to gather. Yeah. We did. Uh, you know, the law requires you to get a certain percentage of signatures to put a petition on the ballot. You have to get them from all over the state. Well, the number might not sound very high. We only needed to gather about 30,000 signatures. But when you consider the size of Alaska and how far we had to go, it was actually quite a job to get the 30,000 signatures, which you get a year to do. And so were some communities kind of concerned you were going to spoil the golden goose here and make the cruise ships go somewhere else? Because uh, I bet that's a pretty good economic impact for those places. Uh, Certainly the tourism organizations in the state were against us. And the cruise lines spent a lot of money and hired a national public relations firm to put out a series of ads in the papers and through mailers and really do a pretty serious disinformation campaign. So it took a lot of work to get the truth out there about what the initiative would really do and why, in fact, it really won't hurt the economy. It's just going to make our waters cleaner and make those guys pay their fair share. Oh, that's cool. Probably the most satisfying thing to me in the election was that not only did we win the election, but we won in almost every community that is visited by the industry. And nobody expected that. And in fact, in most of those towns, we got well over 60% of the vote. Oh, that's cool. So the big question is, is your effort going to, in fact, change the way the cruise ships themselves think about the way they do business? It's going to make a pretty big difference to them, I think, because we're going to be requiring them to meet all state water quality standards, which before they did not have to meet. They're going to have to prove it in documents that they have to turn in every month. The people of Alaska will have the right to sue them if they fail to meet those rules. In fact, we're going to be able to sue the state if the state fails to enforce the rules. And we're also going to be charging a head tax of $50 per passenger, which isn't much when you consider a week-long cruise to Alaska at 7 bucks a day. 
but that $50 is going to be dispersed among the communities that are impacted by the industry, which actually won us a lot of support from quite a few community leaders. And some of that money is going to go to hiring observers who will be on the ships 24-7 while they're in Alaska waters. Yeah. And these folks will be licensed marine engineers, and they will be there to watch the operation and make sure they're not discharging where and when they shouldn't be and they're not falsifying logbooks and things like that. Right. Hey, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but what's the difference between the number of people who visit Alaska on cruise ships and the population of Alaska? We get about a million passengers a year up here, and Alaska has about 630,000 people. So it's more visitors on cruise ships than the entire state population each year. Well, quite a bit, especially yeah. when you consider that most of them come to southeast Alaska, and southeast Alaska's total population is probably around 70,000 people. Wow. And so we get a million people a summer coming into a population of about 70,000, 75,000. Wow. And really, in many towns, it's absolutely overwhelming. You know, you'll get three, four, five ships a day into some of the major towns. Yeah. And each one is dropping two to 3,000 people on shore. And it's, it has a dramatic impact on the yeah. community. Well, I appreciate the fact that I love these kind of David and Goliath things where, you know, you saw this big industry and you organized some people and you got the petition circulated and they spent millions fighting you. And it turns out that the people voted in favor of your amendment. And now this industry is going to have to be cleaned up, which is a good thing. I mean, I think it's important for people to understand the impact of their activities, whatever they are. So congratulations, uh, Gershon, for your organizing and for your interest and uh, on your success, because this thing worked. Thank you. Yeah. We're going to send you a Framed Achievement Award certificate. That's this week's winner, Gershon Cohen from Haynes, Alaska. Thanks to our nominator, Ricky Ott of Cordova, Alaska. For our listeners, if you have someone in mind for the Achievement Award, feel free to nominate them, whether it's someone you've heard about or read about somewhere, maybe even someone you know personally, doing great work that's making a difference. Let us know about them. Nominate them on our website, etown.org, or write us the old-fashioned way at Box 954, Boulder, Colorado, 80306. Thank you, Helen. Thanks to Gershon up there in, in Alaska, winner of the Achievement Award. As I mentioned before, Ricky Lee Jones is going to be back to play some more music in a while. Our next guest has a bio that reads sort of like a Faulkner uh, short story. Raised in New Orleans in an academic household, dad's a Tulane professor, off to Paris to school, eventually blows off school, plays guitar, writes songs, travels, moves up to the Northeast in the midst of the folk boom, writes a song that becomes a Bonnie Raitt classic, puts out records, is the next big thing, gets into some trouble with the bottle, takes a break, comes back ever stronger but with an edge. I mean, this is a sort of Southern Gothic kind of tale here. And, uh, but he comes back with this quiet wisdom that keeps getting refined, and it's a really good story. It keeps getting better. And he's got a new record out called Leave the Light On. We're very happy to welcome back to E-Town Mr. Chris Smither. Yeah. So we're going to start off with a couple of songs here. We're going to have Nick and Helen and the E-Tones help us out. These are um, sort of some of my educational numbers there. Instructive little pieces. <clears throat> one, two, one, two, three. Yeah. 
overview of the State Department it's a, and this is called uh, Diplomacy. Get it, 
Welcome back. It's been a long time, it seems like. It has been a long but time. But you've been busy. You've been doing all kinds of stuff. Yes. And being out there as a solo guy, um, what do you see? What are you seeing out there that we might not see traveling around the world? Yeah, I see. Well, I have a personal theory that nobody should be allowed to vote until they've lived abroad for a year in a country where people speak a different language. <laughs> but, you know... That would reduce I, our voting by from, from, you know, some pathetic 30% to... 21 or something. Yeah, like but that. be a real smart 21. Yeah. You know, be, it's, it's, um, Is this the first time that you've kind of woven some of those thoughts and ideas into your songwriting? Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, enough's enough. You know, eventually you got to say something. You know, it's, it's a, I think, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really trust myself. You know, I did, during Vietnam, I sang in a lot of anti war protests and stuff, but I was just singing my songs. I wasn't singing particularly pointed songs that were about anything, you know. But now, you know, you get to this point, I'm older than the president, and I've read a lot more books than he has, so. <laughs> that's, a, that's kind of an easy hurdle there. Just, uh... <laughs> Although I have not read My Pet Goat. I, 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 no. I have not read that one. That's one I haven't either, you know. Is that. Uh... I got a two and a half year old now. Does she <laughs> she need that book? <laughs> well, tell me about that. You have a you've recently you know here you are as I mentioned you've got this sort of storied life, you know, growing up in New Orleans and living in Paris and your dad being a college professor and books and learning and travel and adventure and playing music, and we get to this place where now you uh, I know you recently contributed to a volume about turning sixty. Yeah. So we assume that you've passed that threshold. Oh yeah. <laughs> And uh, and then you just adopted a, a Chinese girl, a little Chinese right. daughter. Yeah. So, so tell us about that process. I've never been a parent. It's probably a good thing. It's interesting. If I'd had a child, you know, when most people have children or when it's considered advisable, I would have had a lot more energy. But I don't think I would have had as much patience as I have now. Right. You know? So that's a trade-off, you know. And then now becoming a dad 
is that part of the the experience and the um, like a resource that you drew from? I know there's a song on your new CD called Father's Day. Yeah, that is a, particularly about being a son. Yes, it is uh, from this from a son's point of view. But I, you know, I, it's interesting that you mentioned it that way because I'm not sure that I would have had the perspective to write it if I hadn't become a father myself. You yeah. know, and so I reached that where there's somebody behind me, where I become the wall right. between the infinite and life. You know? So my father is the last wall between me and that. You know? yeah. And now I am one of those. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was interesting to write a song. You know? and, and my father is extremely important to me, has been all my life. And um, I think I thought I would wait until he was gone so I could write a song about him and not be criticized. You know, he wouldn't be in a position, but now he just turned 90 a couple of weeks ago and he doesn't show any signs of quitting, so yeah. it's good. Well, can we, uh, can we hear this song? Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, let's get back to music. Welcome back, Chris Smither, and, and uh, maybe do the tune about your dad. Chris Smither. All right. This is called Father's Day. Small talk right 
And it takes so long to say more than goodnight Those last lines are the toughest Last one out, please shut out the light it now but maybe it was never broken and if it was the fixes would be nothing but the tokens for what we thought for years silent fears never ever spoken but I took all you gave or ever wanted to ain't I done good I needed that from you And all I got to say is, by the way, you done good too. Listen, Chris Smither, Boston, Massachusetts. The CD's called Leave the Light On. He's playing with the E-Tones before. Christian, Chris Engelman, Ron Jolly. Thank you, Chris Smither. We'll be back with more from Ricky Lee Jones and Chris Smither after a short break. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like KROV in Oroville, California, on KXT in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, and on KTRT in Winthrop, Washington. As always, if you'd like some more information about any of our guests or any of the things we're up to at E-Town or you want to see some videos, lots of stuff is online at etown.org. Chris Smithers is going to be back to play a little bit more at the big finale number at the end of the show. Right now, would you welcome back to the stage here at E-Town, Ricky Lee Jones.
Jones. Thank you. Thanks again. Joey Maramba on the bass. Peter Atanasoff on the guitar. Thank you. We've got time. We've got time for one more song. I want to invite Chris Smither out here. 
And uh, I want to thank all our guests once again. Thanks to Chris coming out from Boston and playing songs from his new CD. Thank you, Chris Smither. Thanks to our award winner, Mr. Gershon Cohen from up in Haines, Alaska, helping to clean up the cruise industry, particularly a, a big problem up there in Alaska. And he, he's very successful. And I, I love those kinds of stories. Thanks to Ricky Lee Jones, along with Peter Atanasoff and Joey Maramba. Also, Helen and the E-Tones, hardworking folks this week. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town. Yes, I ride on a mail train Came by a thrill Had I been up all night Leaning on the windowsill And if I die Thank you, folks. Chris Smither. 
Ricky Lee Jones. E-Town in the snow. This is a production of E-Town. Okay, 2007, Ricky Lee Jones and Chris Smither, plus a great achievement award about greener cruising in Alaska. All from 2007, I'm Nick Forster. Thank you for listening.